Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Juliet First, good to see you this morning. Thanks for being here. We've I've rolled up my sleeves because we've got to get down to business today. But let me just let me just start by saying this. Uh, can we thank our worship team? You guys have no clue what you have sitting up here in front of you. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the worship team that was up here. What an amazing job they did this morning. Uh, lots of talent. Um, again, we, we need to appreciate what we have. Uh, we need to learn to value what we have. Um, but if it's your first time here, I just want to let you, let you know up front, um, we typically don't talk about this. Uh, this is not something I necessarily want to talk about with you, uh, but it was scheduled in the series. It was scheduled uh, with the content that I use and that I borrow, and so uh, I forcibly am giving this message to you today, but um, I think we can laugh, we can enjoy it. And if it doesn't make you uncomfortable, um, that's great. If it does, I apologize. In fact, uh, we had scripted this morning uh, a young lady named Wanda Benson uh, to come up here this morning and read to you from a romance novel. What a novel idea. And, uh, but then the more I thought about it, the more I thought there's a good chance that you wouldn't understand what we're doing today. And then you would be uncomfortable and you would just walk out because that's, this isn't the place where we read romance novels. But, but the question I have is, how come it makes us so uncomfortable here, but not so much when we're out there? Like there's a continuum of what happens here that should happen when we leave to go out there. And somehow there's a disconnect between what we experience here. And it's not okay here, but somehow it's okay when we get out there. And that's just not okay. And so this morning, let me just say this. If you have a teenager in here and you're worried about what your teenager is going to hear, let me just say this. Parents, I'm sorry, but you have missed it. You should have been talking to them already about this very issue. And the fact that you haven't means the world has already beat them to the punch, which means they're probably hearing things you don't want them to hear. And so, if you haven't had this talk, guess what? We're having it today. And you know what? I know some of us are saying, I'm 60, 70, 80. That's not an issue for me. Whatever. I have seen you at the gym, men who are 70 and 80, staring as if though... We'll talk about it in a minute. But that's the issue we're addressing, is learning how to live without lust. Learning how to live without lust. And I need your prayers this morning because I desperately need help. Let's pray. Lord, we, we acknowledge your presence, and we do believe that a miracle only happens when you are here. And um, I pray today that this message isn't something that we just dismiss, but it's actually something we all need to discuss because it's something we all struggle with in some way. So we pray that you would be in this moment, and it's in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. That's right. I find it interesting that our culture is, you know, saturated with sexual content. Yet I've been a part of, and you've been a part of, or you grew up in a church community or a faith community that is predominantly silent about the issue. Like, if you're like me and you grew up in the church, the church treats the sex word, like it's a foul-languaged four-letter word, even though it's only three-lettered. And in fact, we're just like, it doesn't need any more letters because it's already bad enough, right? You, 
you've been here. And so if you're like me, you grew up in the church, uh, you've grown up in a church that was silent, silent in a sex-obsessed culture. You, you grew up in a church that was silent in a sex-obsessed culture. And so there are two extreme themes that we have to address today. Because they are the tension that you and I, that you, we just find ourselves in every day. And the first one is this, is that all sexual desire is evil. If you've been in the church for any minute, the reason they didn't talk about it with you is because we feel like all sexual desire is evil. It's bad. We shouldn't talk about it. In fact, I love this. I'm sorry. I had to laugh when I read this. Augustine. Augustine believed that that, uh, uh, sexual desire or sexual intercourse transmitted, check this out, original sin. Now, that's an STD I've never heard of. Uh, I was, like, rehearsing this in my mind. I go to the doctor. Hey, doc, I had a hot and heavy date last night. think I caught something. Oh, what do you think you have? Original sin. I mean, weird. So goofy. Who thinks that stuff? Apparently he did. But that's because we've been taught in the church that all sexual desire is bad and evil. That's what we've been taught. But, but there's a downside, right? You go home today, you've worshipped today, you've prayed today, you've sung songs today, you're going to hear some words from Jesus today, and you sit down in front of your TV, and all of a sudden, whether we see it as explicit or not, a commercial comes on that is sexually explicit. And we think, as nobody's watching, as nobody's paying attention, it's just all good. Because all sexual desire is good. And today, I, I want to say this, because this is an issue, again, is it good or is it bad? Is it good or is it bad? As Christians, we ask this question, is it good or is it bad? And here's the question that I think we often ask when it comes to sexual desire. When is it fine and when is it crossing the line, right? When is it fine and when is it crossing the line? You see, I had teenagers when I was a youth pastor who asked this very question. All the time. Hey, pastor, when is it fine and when does it cross the line? And so we would have this talk. We didn't have the talk very often because, again, I don't like necessarily talking about it. I'm just as uncomfortable even using the word. Uh, but we would talk about it. And when we did, we didn't hold back. And so I would say to them right up front, hey, we're going to talk about sex tonight. And I want you to know this right up front. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I don't teach it. I don't preach abstinence. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. And of course, you should have seen the students' face. They were like, woohoo, this is awesome. They're high five and they're shaking hands. They're excited because their youth pastor doesn't believe in abstinence. And then you should have seen the parents' faces. The parents' faces are like, oh my goodness. And the leaders are like, what is he doing? In fact, I had a leader who came back to me the following week after the talk, and he said, Hey, my son Jacob said to me, Man, when Brad started, I was like, please don't ruin it because I like you and I don't want you to get fired. And so he was just really, really worried. But I would tell him up front, I don't believe in abstinence. And I know you're probably freaking out right now too, but don't. Just don't. And so we would address this, the first issue, issue, which is all sexual desire is evil. And I would tell them, listen, God is not the creator of original sin or like, uh, like Augustine thought. God is the creator of original sex. He is the creator of original sex. He thinks it's good. He likes it. He loves it. He wants us to have more of it. And they were saying, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, let's just go back to this great ancient Hebrew poem that tells us about God and what he believes about this issue. And so it says this, that God created mankind in his image, Right? 
God created them, male and female, and in his image, he created them. I love the next part. So God blessed them, right? God blessed them. He blesses them. He gives them something good and amazing. Like, this is exciting. God blesses them, and he says, oh, check this out. Be fruitful, increase in number, and then my favorite line, fill the earth and subdue it. And they would say, how did you get lots of sex out of that? And I would say this, if you knew how much practice, passion, and intimacy it took to make one, you could only know how much passion, uh, intimacy, and passion that it would take to make a ton. See, Jesus says to fill the earth. It took Janelle and I a year, a year of practice and passion and intimacy to get Carter. Could you imagine what it would take to fill the earth with people? That is a lot. It is a lot of work, a lot of practice. And God says, have at it, have fun. In fact, this is a blessing to you. And we're supposed to be, kids are cheering at this point. The teenagers are like, this is exciting, this is good. In fact, they'd be saying, we're, we're two for two. Our pastor doesn't believe in abstinence. And God tells us that we can have, we can like it, we can love it, we can have lots of more of it. And so they'd be saying, is it okay for us? Like in the middle of the talk, is it okay for us? And the answer is no. And they'd be like, oh, great, here it comes. <laughs> because now we're addressing the issue of all sexual desire is good. All sexual desire is good. And, and I would just go back to the abstinence issue. And I would say, here's why I don't believe in abstinence. Because, and this was true in my life, abstinence puts a line in the sand. And it says, do not cross this line. Which then leads to this. Abstinence becomes the easy answer. It becomes the easy out. It asks all the wrong questions. In fact, the question is this. If that is the line, is everything up to it fine? Like, if this is the line that I'm not supposed to cross, is everything up to that fine? And like we said, it's a fine line. And when is it fine? And when do we cross the line? It is difficult. But if we give a line and say, do not cross this line, we think everything up to it is fine. And so I would get questions from students who'd say, Pastor, is it okay if I do this with my girlfriend? Is it okay if I do that with my boyfriend? And again, I'd say, students, we're asking all the wrong questions because you've been taught a narrative that has shaped your mind and essentially said, listen, just don't do this. As long as you don't do this, we're good. But the problem is, is everything leading up to that typically leads you to cross the line that you never wanted to cross to begin with. And so I'd say to them, you ready for it? Choose purity over personal preference. And you can see it on their faces. Seriously, purity? What is the difference between purity and abstinence? You know, when students would ask me this question, when they would say, hey, can I do this with my boyfriend? Can I do that with my girlfriend? You know what they're saying to me is this. Uh, what can I do to gratify me? What can I do for myself that will make me happy? And you know the problem with gratification? You know what happens when you gratify? You objectify. Gratification equals objectification. 
And what you would hear in the student's conversation is this. Listen, pastor, I'm not really interested in them. I'm not interested in the relationship. I'm just wanting to know if I can go this far so I can make me happy. It's about my personal preference in this particular relationship. And it's really not about the relationship at all. It's just about me. And purity doesn't ask that question or make that statement. And so I tell them, choose purity over your own personal preference. In fact, Jesus talks to us about this very issue today. See, this is not just a teenage issue. This is not just a midlife crisis. This is an everyone issue. Because Jesus is talking to everyone. And so he says... I love it. He starts it out. He says, you've heard it said. And we, we've been here for the last four or five weeks. This is how he starts out every conversation. You've heard it said. In other words, I know what has been passed down to you. I know what has been handed to you, commanded to you, and given to you by your mom, your ancestors, your aunts, your uncles, your granddaddy, and your grandmama. I mean, I understand what has been given to you. You've heard it said, this is the benchmark that, is, that you've been called to live. But then Jesus points out a group of people, a group of people who are following that law, that rule, that command. And he says, look, they look great on the outside. They have the good and beautiful life on the outside. But on the inside, they are not as they ought. In fact, they are rotting inside. And so Jesus says, like, when he opens up with this line, it should be a reminder that he said, our righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. And righteousness, I love it, was simply when we are as we ought to be. When we are as we ought. And so Jesus is saying from the very beginning, you've heard it said, this is what you've been told to do. But now I'm asking you to do something different that will move you past where the Pharisees are, which is a dead life, and into a new life, the good and beautiful life. And he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, I don't know, we can't get this from Jesus' statement, but this was, the culture of Jesus' day was a G-driven culture. And I don't mean like the rated kind of movie. I'm talking like lifestyles of the rich and famous, like the gangster kind of life. Because it was a male-driven kind of life. You see, what we don't understand from this statement is that men, men were the heads of the household. They were the one who did all of the important things. They had the important conversations. They took care of uh, all the important uh, uh, household, uh, you know, making sure that we had the right slaves and people. I mean, these guys were in charge. In fact, in society, they were the only ones that could have conversations out in public. And guess what? Part of that life meant that they could have sex with whoever they wanted as long as she didn't belong to somebody else. Yeah, they could be married, but they could have sex with their slave, or they could have sex with even a prostitute. That was normal back then. They could have sex with whoever they wanted as long as it wasn't that person did not belong to someone else. And what we don't get from Jesus' statement is adultery only dressed, addressed the women. See, women were only allowed to sleep with their husbands. And if they were caught with somebody else, they would have been accused and they would have been killed. Only the women. Men, you do whatever you want. Ironically, that's how some cultures still run their world today. And it's a bit odd. 
So you can hear the men at this point, they're checking out. Adultery? Oh, yeah, that's just the women. That has nothing to do with us. So they're checking out, and they're like, yeah, you go ahead, you talk to him. You tell him, Jesus, come on. Make her submit. That's right. Jesus, but Jesus, I love it. He says something next that, that, that kind of grabs them, the men, and says, no, 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 no. I need you to come back in. Come here. He says, I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in whose heart? In his heart. Okay, man, you thought you were off the hook. Nope, come back here. I want to talk to you for just a minute. You see, Jesus, you may not know this, but Jesus was uh, uh, an equal rights advocate. In fact, I think he was the first equal rights advocate, especially in the first century. He fought and advocated for women's rights all the time. You think that's like a 20th and 21st century revolution? Absolutely not. It started with Jesus. You know, when women were, were considered incredible and unbelievable, uh, Jesus actually uses them at the heart of his ministry to start a brand new movement. And what we find so interesting is women, women were the first one at the tomb when Jesus resurrected, not men, because men just aren't smart enough to figure it out. Is that really Jesus? Not, you know, women, they got it. They knew it. So if you don't like Jesus or you aren't really interested in following him, at least there's, this is one great reason to follow him, is he was a women's right ad, you know, uh, advocate in the, in the first century. But, but Jesus is doing something either, even deeper than, than what we see on, on, the, on, the, on the surface, and that is he's drawing a nation. He's calling into question a nation who has essentially dehumanized the good and beautiful life. That's what he's doing. He's calling into question not just the women, not just the men. He's calling everyone into question. And he says truth isn't lopsided. It's not just aimed in one direction. It's for everyone. And so guess what? He is inviting you and me and everyone else into this conversation. Jesus says, come on, we, we have to talk about this this morning. We really do. We really need to talk about it because it's something. It's something we never talk about, but it's something we always experience every day. And he's talking to you. And he's talking to me. And he says, let's talk about lust. Let's talk about lust, baby. Let's talk about lust. No, just <laughs> totally kidding. I don't think that's how he did it. But Jesus uses this word epithemia. Epith. Umias, spit it when you say it. Say it with me. Epithemia. Come on, you can say it. Epithemia. Right? Lust. Epithemia. Now, now, Jesus isn't saying, the word that he uses doesn't imply that we aren't as humans to have sexual desires. We are supposed to have sexual desires. We are to have desires. In fact, it goes so far as to say this, that women, if you see a man, a, a man that you think is handsome, it is okay to say, that man is very cute. He's handsome. And that's it. Let's move on. Man, if you see a woman who is beautiful, it is okay to say she is pretty. I don't recommend saying it to her face, but just acknowledge, okay, she's pretty, and move on. You see, I think God created people, and he created beauty, and he asked us to look around and look at it and say, yes, it is good, and it is beautiful. I think we are just so caught up in everything that is bad that sometimes we fail to acknowledge what is really good in front of us. So he said, yeah, acknowledge it. The problem, though, and the word that Jesus uses, the problem is this. 
It's when we begin to objectify so we can gratify our own self. It's when we intentionally objectify another for our own gratification, which is all about me. We heard this, right, before? Personal preference. See, guys, let's, let's just be honest. Let's just, let's just get it out there because we just need to. All right, it's no secret what we're doing when we're behind the computer or you're behind that magazine or you're at the bar or you're at the gym or you drive by that person that's jogging, whatever it may be. No secret. That that person is not a person to you, but it is an object to you. Ladies, I remember when Fifty Shades of Grey came out and everybody said, oh, it's just a book. It's just a book. But man, everybody was reading that book. And it's not that you may, I get that 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 content may not be as explicit as what your husband or your boyfriend is looking at. But let me just say this. You, You may not be objectifying a person, but you are objectifying a persona. Right? We know the story. Big, handsome man with big bustles comes in on a white horse and he just swoops so-and-so off their feet and rescues them. And we know the rest of the story. And we're like so into it. And what happens when we read those books and we look at those websites and we do things that gratify ourselves is we find our value in those things. Like I said, this is an everyone issue because it is you. It's an everyone issue because it is you. And you can answer that. It's okay. (laughs) Time to get up. Figure out where I am, shall I? (laughs) When it comes to self-gratification, there is no intimacy. There is no human enhancement. There is no connection. What I'm trying to say to you, and this is the issue that Jesus is pointing out to us, there is no relationship when you lust it's all about your life and you and it's empty it's lifeless in fact jesus says it causes you to commit adultery i don't know if you know this but adultery quite simply is this uh, adultery is is a lack of understanding of what a good relationship looks like that's all it is in fact, I would go far, far, so far as to say this, that adultery is, is a dehumanization of somebody else. It's an objectification of somebody else some way. And Jesus is saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you actually sleep with somebody else. It's about, it's about replacing the desire in your heart with an object in a person to the point where it's all about you. And there is no relationship. You want to know why I don't teach abstinence? You want to know why I believe in purity? Purity doesn't ask, how far can I go? Purity doesn't ask the question, how will this benefit my pleasure? How will this benefit me? 
Purity doesn't say, what is my personal preference? Purity says, how will this affect the other person? Purity says, what will this do for our relationship? Purity says this, what is God going to do in our relationship? And what will it tell the world about his love for the world? You see, we don't get this. We don't get this. But much of our relationship with our significant other is about learning, learning to become an expression of God's love and his grace to the world. Your love for the other person in a relationship is all about what God is doing in the world. And if you want to learn to live without lust, you have to learn to value what you have. You want to learn to live without lust, you have to value what you already have. One of the things I do in my daily prayer life is uh, there's a portion where I give thanks. And often what I will try to do during that time is often I'm, I'm thankful every day for my wife. But that's the easy part. The difficult part is coming up with something new every day about her to be thankful for. And you know what's interesting? The more I value her and the more I'm thankful for different parts of her life the more I find a desire and a passion for her. Learning to value it. But you know what I find when I don't value her or give thanks for, for who she is? I often find myself thinking about other things. And I'm not necessarily saying other women. I just other things that aren't necessarily good for me. So I would, I would say this to you today. Choose purity. Be a purist. A purist is not somebody who follows the rules, who follows laws or regulations. A purist is somebody who sort of keeps foreign, foreign things out of something that is pure and good and beautiful. And I, I would just say this, that you will have desires in your life. You'll have sexual desires, you'll have other desires... But when God is not at the center of your life, when Jesus is not at the center of your life, there is a vacuum that is created. And the reason why you want to gratify yourself and you want to objectify other people is because there's an emptiness. And you fill it with desires that don't satisfy. Because you were created for relationship, not just you. One of the prayers that I pray uh, almost every day it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise his holy name. Forget not all his benefits. I love that. For he forgives your sin. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. And I always forget this part. And he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. I always skip that part. Saying that part today, I thought, whoa, he satisfies my desires with good things. See, maybe the greatest problem is that you're starting with me and, and not he. That when we don't look to him, we try to satisfy our lives with something else, but that's just not going to happen. He says it in the prayer. He satisfies your desires. 
He satisfies what is to be good and true and beautiful in your life. He does that. You are meant to have desires. But the pure ones, the pure ones are the good things. They're the bigger things. They're the better things in life. In fact, perhaps the reason you're living such a small life is because your vision and your mission and your goal and your dreams and your desires aren't big enough. But it's because you're looking at all the wrong things. We do that every day. So... I'm inviting you to be a purist means to channel that desire for something bigger and something better in your life. That's what it means to be a purist. Let him satisfy your desires. And it starts, it starts, it starts with the man who said himself, Jesus. That's where it starts. So maybe today, maybe today for you, the start is acknowledging that Jesus is not at the center of your life. And the good news for you is saying, okay, I'm ready. Like, I will always have this void. I will always have a desire for something that isn't good or beautiful as long as he's not at the center of my life. And so maybe you just need to say, today is the day. Maybe lust is the issue for you. And this is the issue that is driving you to Jesus today because he addresses it. So I'm inviting you. Inviting you into the good and beautiful life to address the mess. Choose purity over your own personal preference.